India. So India is the second largest country in the world. Uh, anyone have a guess as to its population? Yeah, 1.2 billion. Good. How'd you know that? Oh. Oh, well, then you guys have heard all of this, so... <laughs> okay, yes, 1.2 billion people. Um, it's actually estimated that in the next 20 years, India will overtake China as the largest uh, country population-wise in the world. They're saying it's going to be about 1.45 billion or so. Um, at the end of the day, 1.2 billion, 1.45 billion, we can't even begin to uh, picture that. But there's a lot of people in this country. Um, Interestingly enough, about 70% of Indians are under the age of 35, so it's a very young population. And, uh, and as, of course, we hear in the news and whatnot, economically, India is um, in, in its ma major cities uh, like Mumbai and New Delhi, Calcutta, there's um, economic growth, substantial economic growth, and, uh, and the middle class, they're, they're actually getting a middle class there. Um, but for the most part, in India remains relatively um, poor in a country in deep, deep poverty. There are, uh, there are slums in India, like most countries with major cities. Um, not like we see on Hastings Street, though. Um, these slums are basically garbage piles. Anyone who's traveled um, to other countries has probably seen them. And uh, I remember my trip to India in the spring was my first time ever seeing what a slum looked like. And we were actually on our way out of, out of New Delhi on a train and... Um, we were in the first-class cart, which is really just like a normal kind of uh, train we'd have here in, in Canada. And we were being served tea and biscuits. And on our way out, we started hitting all of these garbage piles. And, um, and I, I didn't even know how to, how to respond to that. Um, I was sitting with my little teacup and sipping on tea and watching these kids um, urinating and... Uh, cows and pigs eating garbage next to these children who are looking for food in the garbage and all these shacks in the background. And um, I didn't even know how to respond in my heart. It was, it was that shocking to me uh, to see that kind of poverty and to, to, to know that I was sitting in a first-class car on my way out. Um, I think actually that was, um, yeah, we were heading to the north and, um, you know, we were going to do like, a tour and, and capture God's heart for what he's doing in the north. And yet here we are passing all these slums and all these people dying in poverty. It was, um, I still don't know how to process it. And I, I hope that I actually never do. Um, India is, uh, is a country with many different languages, 456 languages, not just dialect, dialects, but actual different languages. So you can imagine the, the challenge it is for missions uh, when we go into a country like this and uh, want to share the gospel in uh, what we would say would be their heart language, well, you have to learn a different language for every part of India you go in. And so uh, you can't just kind of go to a place like Canada and be like, oh, it's English, we'll speak English to all these people. Um, so we have to be very strategic in what language we learn. Obviously, we don't want to spend 20 years learning languages. So uh, we will be going probably starting off with Hindi. Uh, as Hindi is a, considered to be a national language, so it's spoken not everywhere, but most people know a little bit of Hindi. And, uh, and of course, English is also a a, one of the national languages, but it is spoken um, not at all in the villages and a little bit in, in some of the, the major urban centers, um, and especially in the business, the business world. For those of you interested in Bible translation, 
There are, out of these 456 languages uh, in India, there are only 70 uh, full versions of the Bible. So very, very few um, compared to how many languages there are. If you look at the New Testament, there's about 120, so there's a little bit more. But they say that at the rate of uh, translation at this point, it will take to the end of this century to have a Bible in every one of these languages. And so if your heart is translation, um, consider India. It's, it's in, there's so much need for Bible translation in, in this country. Um, one of the things that I, that I learned while I was in India was, was how they don't cover up uh, their poor or their rich. And uh, India actually has more millionaires than in the United States. And which I was just blown away because you just think of India as, as this poverty, this place of poverty. But there's actually a lot of money in India, and especially in these major cities. Um, but our second week there, we got we were we were in deep, deep culture shock, and just needing something from our own culture. And so, what do you turn to? The movies. And so we thought we would go and see a movie. And so we we heard about this mall in in New Delhi. So we took the, a rickshaw. Um, to this mall, you know, paid our, our rickshaw driver the 20 cents that we had to give him. Um, a man who lives, probably makes like a dollar or two a day. And we walk across the street. And then suddenly we're in this completely different world. There are um, Mercedes Benz all around and water fountains and this huge mall and security. And rich Indians dressed like Westerners dress. And uh, we had to go through the security and we entered this mall. And every store that you can imagine... Uh, in Canada or in the U.S. is in this mall. Actually, there's two malls side by side. And uh, we were just like, we are in Canada. This is or even better than Canada almost. Like, this is just an amazing mall. And uh, we find the theater, and we sit down, these like, plush seats, and we watch Avatar in English. Um, and it was so good, not because of the movie itself, but just good to, you know, like, you want your own culture, right? And uh, at halftime or in intermission, um, they come and they offer you popcorn and drinks and everything, and you're just kind of pampered. Um, and then you leave the mall, and immediately you're back in India again, and it's just dirty, and there's, you know, it's almost like the pollution stops at the mall. Suddenly you don't, you don't smell or see the pollution, and it's just, it's clean, and it's bright, and it's fresh, and then you, uh, you leave, and, and you, you're faced with the reality of India again. And so um, it, they, don't, they don't cover that up like we do here. We don't, they don't have like, the poor section of town and the rich section of town. It's just, if you're rich, you are, because that's the way that the gods um, have shone down on you. That's part of karma. Um, and if you're poor, well, you're just living out um, what, what karma's dealt you as well. And, uh, and so when we would go into a cafe for coffee, we'd come out, and immediately these street children would just be all over us, wanting money and food and, um, and love and so just dealing with that discrepancy was, was very, very challenging, and it will continue to be very challenging as we go back long term. Uh, there are many health concerns in India, and um, I will just, I'll give you a few of them. Uh, if you ever want to do research, there's a, there's a great book. It's called Operation World, and it's a guide to how we can pray for the nations. There's a brand new edition out, and it's, it's just packed full of some really great information on uh, places like India and actually every country of the world it, it lists. And, uh, and helps us to pray for these nations. But, um, yeah, where do you begin with health concerns in India? Over uh, almost a million people die every year because of uh, bad water and because of pollution. Uh, these are issues that, that we don't even really think about. We, you know, we have Brita, we have our, our bottled water, 
And, um, and I likely got sick because of some water or something, and yet I had money so I could go and buy medicine to, uh, to fix me. But these people don't have money, and so a mil- almost a million people die every year because of these issues. 40% of children suffer from malnutrition. Um, food diet is just horrendous there. And uh, Indians are, are, are short and skinny, not just because that's the way that they are, but because they don't have enough food or water. Uh, India has the third largest HIV population in the world. Of India's 400 million children under 15 years old, possibly up to 35 million are orphans. Sorry, I'm probably going to tear up here. This is, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, 11 million are abandoned. 90% of these are, are girls because they are not wanted. And 3 million live on the streets. Then you could talk about child prostitution and uh, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse, the child labor. Um, these are just issues that go on and on in a place like India that you, uh, that you see with your eyes, that you don't just read or see on your clothing tags. One of the big problems in India, as it is in China, is um, the issue of gender. And uh, Indians prefer boys over girls. And so... The issue of, um, of abortion and infanticide is huge in India. They estimate that there are about 35 million girls missing in India because, of, of, because they kill them, because they found out that they're girls and they kill them. Um, generally speaking, in any population, there are usually a few more boys than girls. Like for every 100 girls, there's about 103 or 104 boys. Um, that's not the case in India. There are far more boys than girls in India because of um, issues like gender side is what it's been called. Um, yeah, I'll stop there with health concerns. It, it could go on and on. But um, there are problems in India that, that uh, I can't fix, <laughs> that my team can't fix, that, uh, yeah, you look, at, you look at the problems and you're overwhelmed, and yet... I'm going to India because I believe that Jesus can fix these problems and that the gospel, the power of God, can fix these problems. Um, not overnight, not obviously. If God wanted to, he could. Um, but um, they don't even have the light of the gospel, the, the chance of having um, the, the redemption that God offers and into some of these issues. And so we are holistic church planners because... We're not just talking about where they go when they die, but we're talking about bringing the kingdom to a place like India now and to watch that restoration take place now, today, to these people. India is a very spiritual place. Uh, you'll, you've probably heard or maybe have friends who have gone to India to um, have a pr- pilgrimage or to find themselves or to find God. And, uh, and it's, it's true, you go there and, and there are gods everywhere you look. Um, you walk into any any store and you see uh, little uh, fruit things hanging down and they are um, there so that the gods won't be mad at them and, and will bless them and give them financial gain. Um, you, you see idols everywhere you go. Uh, uh, it's the birthplace of religions like Jainism and Buddhism, Sikhism, of course. It has the uh, third largest Muslim population in the world and it is, of course... Um, the largest population of Hindus in the world as well. 
Everyone believes something in India. Everyone is religious in India. And uh, we, we found it almost funny where we would be talking to somebody, meeting somebody, and they would ask us the question, so what do you believe? We'd be like, hey, I'm the missionary, not you. That's my question. Um, but they, they want to talk about God. They want to talk about God. And yet um, you get to the point in the conversation where you say that Jesus is, is the only way, that he is the God of gods and the king of kings, and they will shut you down so fast. Um, that's, that's where the conversation always ended or often ended for us. Um, and so we have different uh, challenges in a place like India than we do in a place like Canada for evangelism and, and discipleship and all, all those kinds of things. Um, we're looking forward to those challenges, but we're aware that, they are, um, that they're big and we have a lot to learn and many ways to grow in still as we, uh, as we prepare to go. So India is a very spiritual place, but it is a place so in bondage. It is unbelievable how much bondage is in India and how much people are enslaved to these gods and to the, the cycle of life that they find themselves in and to their belief system. And so again, we, we go because we believe that Jesus can set them free. And, uh, and that is why we go as church planners. Christianity, as we, as we heard in the video, is, um, is in India. It has been since the first century. Uh, they say that Thomas went to India and evangelized the people. And so um, like all these other religions that are there, Christianity is, is there as well. And yet it is... Uh, it suffers there. It's, it's, uh, they, they say a conservative guess would be 2.3% of, of Indians are Christians. That's not very many people compared to how many people are in India. Um, 80% of these Christians are, are found in South India. And so a very, very few, they, they say maybe about 5%, maybe less, um, of, of Christians in India are actually found in the north where, where we'll be going, like the Punjab, where most of the Indians that live in Surrey and Abbotsford, in this area come from, is the Punjab. And uh, in, in that area, there's less than 1% of, of people that are Christians. And so along, uh, along that whole area of the Ganges River, um, that area is incredibly unreached. There are, um, are 2,500 different people groups in India, and most of them are unreached with the gospel, especially in the north. Uh, I, could just, I could give you stats. I won't. Um, you can dig them out if you want. But uh, province after province after province of of just, you know, less than 1% Christian, no gospel witness, no church. Um, that is the state of, of North India. So I don't want to leave it here and be like, well, so it's really hard and it's tough and uh, there's no hope, so let's go home. Um, because that is not the case. And the church is in India, and, and there are places in India where God is stirring uh, Indians to, to wake up to their country and, and to go to the, to the north of India. And we heard on the video this morning that, that that's the case even among the Mennonite brethren, a denomination that's been in India for 120 years. Um, the, largest in, the largest conference in the world, actually, uh, Mennonite Brethren Conference in the world, is in India. 200,000 members. Uh, again, not very many people when you, when you consider the amount of people in India. But, but they're there and God is stirring in their hearts to reach out to their people and uh, at the same time, God is stirring in our hearts to go over and to help them and to church plant alongside with the Indians. And so we are going to India with the Indians, and we are incredibly excited about it and, uh, and overwhelmed by it, but, but excited. We saw many things while we were there, and uh, I think as I look back on that trip, my eyes weren't... Um, 
weren't trained for what I was going to see. You know, I, I recognized that I wasn't really able to take in um, the experience in a way that I, that I wish that I could because, uh, well, maybe just because I'm human. But we saw God uh, moving in India and changing people's lives and their paths and, and their families. And so it was just so encouraging to meet Indian believers, especially in the south. We met a few in the north. Um, there's, uh, I, think, I think you saw it this morning, that the group of, of pastors, there's about 15 or so pastors in, in the north that got together for a conference. And uh, that's, that's it. That's the pastors, you know, and uh, ministering among 400 million people. Um, so there's probably a few that, that couldn't come, but I'm just saying, like, generally speaking, that's, <laughs> that's the numbers that, that we're dealing with. And so, uh, but God is raising up uh, Indians to become pastors and leaders and teachers and disciplers, and, uh, and, and we're just going to go and we're going to help them. I mean, that's maybe not very eloquent and uh, might not um, convince you to, to grab your wallet, um, but we're just going to go and we're going to help them in their training and in their um, discipleship, and um, we, we want to be a resource to these Indians. We have education. I mean, we've been blessed with education, and uh, whereas many, most Indians are not blessed with that gift of, of education, of getting our grade 12 education, of going to university. And so we want to give some of these gifts away to these people who, um, who love Jesus but have absolutely no training and no knowledge of the Bible. Uh, so we will be acting as a resource uh, to our Indian brothers and sisters while we're in India. We go as church planners, we go as, uh, as counselors and teachers, um, but I think more than anything, and one thing that God has just really spoken to my heart about is that we go as, um, as the church, you know, in a place where there is no church. We go as, we carry the spirit of God in us. And that's something that I've really struggled with um, accepting in my life is that God would actually put his spirit in me and God would ask me to show that to other people. Um, maybe it's just, uh, maybe you haven't struggled with that, but as I've come to accept that, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. God has put his spirit in me and in, our, in the church. And we are the light to the nations. You know, we are that city on a hill. And um, as I've come to accept that and, and just wrestle with it, um, God has just given me such a, a heart just to be the presence of Christ in a place where there is no presence of Christ. And, and really, that's what we're doing. You know, we're going we're gonna to be doing all sorts of different things and and one of the things that you can pray for us about is, is simply that we would not be uh, sidetracked. Like I said, there's so many needs there that we could just be giving all of our time and efforts into anything. You know, you could, you could be doing anything there. It would be helpful. Um, but we, we want to stay focused on the fact that we are, we are going as church planners. We are going believing that um, while, while social change is necessary, um, we believe that real social change, change comes from um, from Jesus and from the transforming work that he does in individual lives, and that's where it starts. And so we go with the gospel, and, and that's what we want to be. We want to be, um, be a light. And so with that, we all know we're all living in community. We know that that's difficult. We know that um, we need to be unified. We need to love each other. And it's those simple but really hard things that, that we could um, use your prayers for as, as teammates and as working with people who are from a different culture than us. We recognize that that's going to be very challenging. It's exciting that we get to church plan with Indians, but it's also very challenging because it's a completely different culture. And they will be our leaders. And so we need, um, we need a lot of grace and understanding and humility as we work alongside with, 
with Indians and, um, yeah, and, and be uh, God's vessels there. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why, but this year I have read Second Corinthians about a million times, maybe a hundred, I don't want to exaggerate too much. But um, Second Corinthians, like this, this book has just grabbed my heart and, and especially uh, around four, chapter four and five, um, just Paul's talking about life and death and about how to, you know, to live is, is Christ and to die is gain and, and how we are just broken, broken people. We are clay jars, um, but we hold this treasure in us and it's the light of Christ and it's the power of Christ. And that power has transformed my life and it's transformed your lives and now we want to bring it to the Indians and say, here is some power, not just the power that you have to serve these gods um, and pay homage to them and, and give your life to them, but here's a God worth giving your life for and to. And, uh, and the power of Christ to transform people is unbelievable. And, uh, and that's really why I want to go. Um, because I've experienced God's power in my own life, and, and I want to share, share that news. That's good news, right? And I want to share that with, um, with people who have never even heard the name of Jesus before. And so that's why we go. The, uh, the prophet Ezekiel um, receives a vision from the Lord. And in this vision, he, he sees a, a valley of dry bones. And I'm sure you've heard, heard this, read this many times. And, and God says, you know, I'm going to put flesh on these bones and I'm going to breathe into these bones. And then Ezekiel sees these, these bones coming to life. And when I hear that now, I think of India. I think of this place that is incredibly dead uh, dead in sin. I mean, it comes down to sin. And yet, uh, God can take a nation like Israel and, and breathe life into them. And in the same way, God can take a nation like India and breathe life from them and raise them from the dead to be who he created them to be. At the beginning of that video, um, John Shankara says, 1.2 billion people created by God to know God to know him, not just to wander aimlessly through life, through a caste system that is completely unfair and evil, um, but to know God, to know their creator. And, uh, and that is the vision that I have for, for India. John Shankara, actually, um, my teammate sat with him one day and said, John, what is your, what is your vision for India? Kind of thinking like, oh, you know, in my lifetime, I don't know, 200 people come to know, whatever. I don't know what he, what we, they thought he would say. 10 million people. It's like, in, in my lifetime, I want to see 10 million people from North India come to Christ. And Sherry, who was asking him, she was just like, almost like, you're crazy. Like, what are you, like, that's, that's a lot of people. 10 million people, that's like a third of Canada, practically. Um, but they're dreaming big, and we want to dream big with them. We're asking God to increase our faith, because uh, our response is like, 10 million people, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, and yet... Uh, it's not. God can do anything, and God is moving in this place. In uh, in Second Chronicles 20, uh, King Jehoshaphat stands before uh, before God, and he he prays, and he's about to go to war, and he just sees this impossible battle before him, and he says, "For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you." And then God responds to to King Jehoshaphat, and he says. 
Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. And I'm grateful that we have a missionary God. That from the beginning of his plan, uh, he has been sending people across the world um, to participate in this battle, not against flesh and blood, but against angels and principalities and powers. It is a spiritual battle. Um, but he has, been, he has been fighting this battle on our behalf um, since the beginning of time. And, uh, and we, go, we go knowing that, yeah, we are, we are afraid. <laughs> there is fear. I mean, we're very, very human. And we see this vast amount of people and all these problems and issues. And we think, how could we ever do anything to help this nation? And yet we believe that God is going before us. The Spirit of God has been sent before us. And, and he is going to fight this battle. And, and we just have to be there and, and follow his, his commands, his directions. Um, and so again, if you want to pray for us, um, pray that our hearts would be sensitive to to what God is saying to us and to how he's leading us. And, and pray for, I mean, things like, you know, humility and, um, and grace and compassion that our hearts wouldn't grow hard as we get used to living in this kind of society. I, I watched a YouTube clip uh, a month or two ago by Francis Chan. He's a uh, pastor and a, uh, author from the U.S. And uh, this clip was about something that his wife said to him one day. And she said that she had been um, recently, different people have come up to her and said, you know, what are you doing? Like, you're living this kind of crazy life and you're, you know, you're this, like your husband's this like kind of charismatic, crazy pastor guy and um, the things that he preaches or the things that you guys talk about are just really out there. And are you sure this is what, you know, God's called you to? And compared to the rest of what we're all doing as Christians, like, I don't know, is this, are you sure? Like, this is kind of weird. This is kind of, this is kind of off a little bit. And it started to bother her because people were just making these comments to her. And she started reading one day in, uh, in Acts, in the Bible. And she, as she read Acts, the thought hit her, I want my life to fit into this book. Not into my culture, but into this book. So that if someone were to pick up Acts and start reading and go, oh, wow, like the Holy Spirit, he is moving and uh, look at this story about Peter, and look at this story about Paul, and people are being raised from the dead, and demons are being cast out, and people's lives are being changed. And then there's a little story about her. And she's like, oh, people will probably just skip over that. It's really quick. But at least I made it into Acts. Like, this is like first century church planning. This is first century. The Holy Spirit has come, and he's moving. And it's the Acts, not just the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is here today in us and resides in us and is calling us out. He is a missionary Holy Spirit. And he's called all of us to, to big things. Uh, he is a missionary God and he still sends people. And people like me. Like, sometimes I just think, God, what are you doing? I'm going to India? Like, I can barely cope with my own culture. Oh. But he's still sending people. And I want my life to fit into this book. And not just my life, but I want Jericho Ridge to fit into this book. You know, it's not, just, it's not individual. We don't, that's not how we live our Christian lives. We are a community. And, and as we read um, stories in books like Acts, as we read about the churches in Revelation, um, 
where do we fit? Where do we fit as a church? I want Jericho Ridge to fit into Acts so that if we read someday in heaven, God's maybe expanded the Bible or something. I'm not sure how that works. Let's just say he did. Um, We get to the part where it's like, and the people of Jericho Ridge in the 21st century did incredible, amazing things in my name. They stepped out in faith. They took incredible risks for me. And I moved through them in ways that, oh, I'm just so proud of them. They're my kids. And so I just want to leave that with you today, that, that for all of us, as individuals, as a community, that we would fit into a book like Acts, that we would not measure our lives against our culture, against our friends, or our family, but that we would measure our lives, first and foremost, against how Christ lived his life and how he walked intimately with the Father and took direction from the Father. And out of that, he was obedient to the Father unto death. And then as we look at at heroes of the faith, like the apostles, as we look at their lives and how they took crazy risks for God, that we would measure our lives against them and go, wow, like look, look what the Holy Spirit did through them because they obeyed, because they just stepped out. And it costs us something. I mean, there's always a cost to following Jesus. And, and I, I've just, just barely begun to discover that. Um, as many of you know, I got, I got sick uh, when I was in India earlier this year. And it al- almost cost me my life. Um, thank God it didn't. But that was the beginning. I think that was God's way of saying, Steph, this is not just about your physical body, but this is going to cost you a lot in many different areas of your life. And, uh, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm a little slow, I don't know, but I just, that's when I got it. Like, this is, following Jesus always costs something. Um, but when we, when we give up the things that he's asking us to, be it sin, be it people that we love, places that we love, whatever it is, it's different for all of us. Um, but when we, when we take up our cross and follow him, um, he delivers in ways that uh, we can't even begin to imagine. And so I just want to challenge you guys this morning. Um, maybe God's speaking to you about, maybe about India, maybe about a different country, maybe about being a missionary here in Langley. I mean, the reality is, is that he's called all of us somewhere. And so if you're here, that, means, that may mean that he's actually called you here. And if he's called you here, live as a missionary. How do missionaries live? Well, they have to like, sell a bunch of stuff, and um, we have to be on our knees a lot in other cultures because, oh, because it's really hard, um, because we're dependent on Jesus, hopefully. Um, we're focused on the vision, like we've got vision, and we've got goals, and we have to have these meetings all the time that talk about, are we still on vision? Are we still, and you know, I really appreciate um, about our leadership here that we do that every year, don't we? We come together once a year, and we go, okay, are we, like, what's our, what are we doing this year? Have we accomplished our goals? That's what missionaries do. But you guys are missionaries here. So I'm going to India, but you guys are missionaries here. Be missionaries. Take those risky steps of faith and find yourselves in the book of Acts. And, and let the Holy Spirit do what, what he wants to do in your lives. That's all I have. Thank you for listening. Um, if you have any questions at all, I, I'll be at the back. I've got some prayer cards and just different uh, propaganda, hopefully that I can convince you with. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love for you to pray for me. If God's laying on your heart to, to financially support me, I, I need money to go. That's just the reality of doing missions. Um, 
So if, if that's something that you'd like to do, I'd, I'd love for you to join my team. Um, otherwise, yeah, be a missionary here. I'm excited to partner with you guys. I'm really excited about this community, about um, you sending me to, Ish- to India, and about um, you guys coming with me to India to do great things for God. We believe that, and we're excited uh, to do this together. So thank you. Well, Steph, thanks for sharing your heart uh, with us this morning. One of the things that sometimes happens in gatherings like this is we kind of nod our heads and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll totally remember to pray for Steph. I'll get a prayer card, and then it gets lost somewhere in your Bible, and you forget about it. And so we want to actually take time and be intentional right now to pray for some of those things that Steph invited us to. Uh, to pray for. And I want to give you a couple ways uh, to do that. One of the first ways is uh, the journals that we put together for you, the Momentum journals. And so if you don't have a copy of a Momentum journal, can you just stick your hand up and the ushers will come around and they'll get you one? Uh, Because there's a couple things that I want to draw your attention to in there. Uh, One of them is the prayer section that exists in that uh, guide. And that takes up uh, from pages 26 to 29. And so the purpose of that is when someone says, can you pray for me about this? That you say, yep, I can pray for you about that. And you actually write it down so you remember to pray about that request uh, that God's going to bring to your mind. And so that's uh, built right into the Momentum Journals. And then when you're finished with this one, which will be at the beginning of January, you just transfer those into your new one. And then you've got uh, that available for you. Also, uh, Steph wrote just a little uh, article, and that article is uh, contained in the journal as well. And so that's on page 43 and 44. And so it just gives a little bit of her story of what that looked like for her in India. And that's also available in one of the magazines uh, called The Witness Magazine, which is just available uh, at the back for you to pick up as a way of remembering uh, what it is to pray for. You know, when we, the Momentum Journal also contains a scripture text for you to read. And sometimes people will ask, well, how should I pray for a country like India? Like I, I don't even know where I would begin with praying for uh, the country of India. And one of the things that I'll say to people in that context is, well, you can't go wrong if you pray what's in the scriptures because that's what's revealed to us as on God's heart already for his world and for us. And so we're going to take a few minutes this morning and just pray for Steph and for India in the words of the text from this morning's reading, which is in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. So it starts off in verse 1 and says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. I'm going to insert uh, Steph's team in here. We ask you, Steph has invited us, brothers and sisters of Jericho Ridge, pray for Steph and for her team. Pray specifically that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as it has when it came to us here in Langley, and in Willoughby. And so I'm going to lead us in uh, some corporate prayer, and then I'm going to come around. There's a few individuals who are going to pray the next verses, and they'll pray from the mic, and you just pray along uh, in silently in your heart and be writing down in that momentum journal things that God prompts you to pray. So God, we respond to what we've heard this morning uh, just by getting on our knees and by saying, God, thank you for the 1.2 billion people that you have created to know you. 
And we pray, Father, that as your word goes out in that place, that it would spread rapidly, even more rapidly than uh, all that we could ask or imagine, Father. That where your word takes root in people's lives and transforms them in that place, that it would spread like wildfire, Jesus, into the north from the south. We pray for and stand together with our brothers and sisters in India, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in North India as it is in heaven, and that people would come to faith in incredible and powerful and supernatural ways there in that place, God. And so we pray for Steph and her team as they go and as they prepare to go, that you would strategically place them in places that you want them to be. The text continues in verse 2, and I'm going to come and find Curtis, who's going to pray that for us. The text continues to remind us about how we can go about praying for individuals. And it says that we're to pray specifically that they would be protected from evil. Steph has reminded us this morning of many of the different realities. And so we're going to pray to that end. Curtis. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our, our sister Steph and her team. And uh, we remember when, when she first said, I think God wants me to go to somewhere. I'm not sure. And then she said, I'm going to India. And now she's come back and you've, um, you've kept her safe. You helped her recover. You've given our, our sister back to us. And um, we pray that you will help her to stand firm. That her team will stand firm. And in a place where they are going, where, where they have uh, um, resources and finances and education and all those things that in many people's eyes lift them above the average person, Lord, I pray that you will give her and the team humility. That they won't grow callous to those children in, in the dump. That they won't grow callous to the people that don't have what she has. But you will um, continue to... Um, protect her and watch over her. And uh, as she is that clay vessel who carries your light that is fragile and, and she feels that she is fragile, Lord, that you will empower her to um, to share that light in so many places, Lord, that um, that, that gospel will not be hidden and uh, it will be received. We thank you for her, Lord. And we thank you for her team and we thank you for John's vision to, um, to spread the gospel, to to see 10 million people come to, to faith in his lifetime, Lord. Thank you for grand visions and, and the faith and the knowledge that we know that you can, that you can do everything that you set out to accomplish. Thank you, Lord. You heard Steph talk about how India is a very spiritual place, very religious in many ways, but very, very dark. And so we need to pray for their team as they go, that they would be protected from the attacks of the enemy. And so Al, one of our uh, elders, is going to pray. And Lord, we uh, pray along with what Paul was teaching the people in Thessalonica to pray, that as these people and our team become 
living in India, that they would understand and be confident that you are there before them, that you have something in mind uh, for them to do there, to work together. And I pray that you would continue to remind them and encourage them, help them to see what you are doing and how you are uh, being an impact on the people that are there. Pray for openness and leading to the Spirit to the people that they are talking to. Pray for your protection in a land of many other religions and spiritual influences. And I pray that the conversation would uh, be able to go beyond that you are the only way and that people would try to understand and want to know more about that. So uh, open the minds and the hearts of the people that are going to be in contact with Steph and her team. And we are, as a church, grateful to be a part of this as well. And the text concludes in verse 5 by saying, when all of these things happen, many, many people will give glory to God the Father. And so Brian Kuhl is going to pray for Steph and for her team that that would be a part of their reality. Lord, um, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, you reign in our hearts, and I pray that you would reign in the hearts of the people of North India. Jesus, I pray that you would have mercy on them as you've had mercy on us and allow their hearts to understand and know that you are Jesus the Messiah. And that, Lord, when they come to that understanding in their heart and in their mind, Jesus, that they would be healed of their diseases and that they would be set free of oppression and bondage, God, whatever they find themselves in, whether it's because of the caste system or because of abuse in their families or because it's hunger or whatever, God. And I know that these problems might not necessarily go away in their lives, but, Jesus, that they would have uh, your power and strength to um, not just survive but to flourish Please, God, give them understanding, and I pray that you would use Steph and her team to um, love those people in such a way that they would understand the love of you, Jesus. I pray that uh, Steph and her team would have uh, incredible patience, God, and I think that you've been uh, increasing their capacity for that already um, as they raise support and... Uh, God, I pray that you would give them a favor among the people there in India for the first few years that they're there and that they would be able to learn the language and they'd be willing to put in the hard work that it takes, God. Um, and for us, Jesus, will you help us, God, because we're weak and we forget. And uh, when things are out of sight, they're out of mind. And when Steph's uh, half a world away, it's easy maybe to forget on a daily basis that she's... Uh, they're working. So, Lord, help us to remember to pray for her. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue in uh, an attitude and atmosphere of prayer. Jared and the team are just going to uh, lead us in that song that we sang earlier, uh, morning song, which talks about inviting God to take our hearts, take our minds, take our feet, and use them as he would so choose. 
And so I'm going to uh, invite those who are leading at our prayer tables, and those are some of our uh, missionaries here at Jericho Ridge. Uh, the Stevensons are at the back available for you, and uh, Judy and Arnie Friesen are available at the sides. If God is stirring in your heart something that you want to respond to, and, and maybe just a concern that you have uh, that you want to, someone to stand with you in prayer about it, maybe something that you want to celebrate and thank God for, and feel free to uh, spend some time praying with them before you leave this place this morning. Steph is available at the table as well, and as she mentioned, there's uh, many ways which you can connect with her and continue to support and be a part of the incredible things that God is doing in and through His church here in North America and also in India as well. And so this song will serve as a, a benediction for us. If you want to continue to stay in an atmosphere of prayer, then feel free to do that. And we'll uh, release you at whatever point uh, you feel comfortable. And you can connect with Steph on your way out. May God bless you. And may his spirit go with you from this place to lead and guide you on mission wherever you find yourself this week.